Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. This episode is part of our Up Next series, where faculty researchers and alumni weigh in on the trends currently shaping the world of business. All right, I'm your host, Scott Gale. Uh, excited to be here today with Don von Knippenberg, the Houston Endowment Professor of Management. Don, welcome to the Owl Have You Know podcast. Thank you. Excited to have you on the show. We've been chatting here sort of in like the the front end, um, just sort of a bit, little bit about the history of Rice, et cetera. You joined Rice in July of 2022. That's correct. And so I want to just sort of start a little bit back in your history, ultimately leading to kind of why Rice and how you got here. Sure. But you're, you teach organizational behavior broadly. Um, what got you into that in the first place? Uh, what got me into organizational behavior. I started out studying psychology. I'm Dutch and I studied in the Netherlands. I got a job in psychology in the Netherlands, in uh, social psychology. Um, and at a certain point, I realized that what, I'm mo- what I was most interested in, which was social influence processes, group dynamics, etc., was increasingly studied less in, psycho- in, in social psych and more in organizational psych and organizational behaviors in the business schools. So I moved from social psych to organizational psych to follow my, my interest. Yeah. And then uh, from organizational psych to the business school when I realized that the, the biggest community of people that studied what I was interested in were actually in the business school and not in psychology. Yeah. So it was kind of, I, I transitioned from one, one, one discipline to the other because that's where my interest had to transition, apparently. Sure, sure. Mm. So just kind of pulling on that thread ultimately kind of got you towards kind of business school. Was was that transition, did that take place in the Netherlands? That was in the Netherlands, yeah. So I, I did my, uh, now I'm going to throw out a bunch of Dutch names. I studied in Groningen, did my PhD in Leiden, and then I worked in Leiden, uh, Amsterdam, all in psychology, and then I transitioned to the Rotterdam School of Management mm. at the Erasmus University of Rotterdam. So the transition to the business school was in, was in the Netherlands. Um, I think it made it easier maybe to transition then transition to a U.S. business school, but maybe also not that much easier because organizational psychology, organizational behavior has tremendous overlap. Hmm. So I'm, I want to ask you a question, but I chronologically I want to get us to write. Yeah, so let's let's yeah, talk yeah. about that. And so uh, you were at Drexel for how long? Five years. Five years, and came to 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 Rice summer of last year. So. Just uh, tell us a little bit about kind of why Rice. Why Rice, why, yeah. A bit about that transition from the northeast of the U.S. now well, here to the, the Gulf Coast region. Yeah. Um, how how has that transition been so far? And uh, yeah. So, yeah, so fill, us, fill in some yeah, of the blanks. Fill in some of the blanks. So um, when we, and maybe the point to start is when we made up our minds, like we would being be open, not open. We want to move. We want to move to the U.S. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, we need to find jobs, <laughs> so that's the challenge. And we and we don't want to live just a- anywhere. <laughs> so, for instance, and it's different things. Like we, we bring two little kids, so we we, we, we want we want them to be in a, in a place where it, it's it, it's good for them to grow up. Yeah. Um, we like to be in a bit more sort of in a, in a bit bit of a cosmopolitan, open-minded place. Um, 
My wife in particular said, I'm not going to move all across the ocean to a place that's colder than the Netherlands. That doesn't make sense to me. So what one restriction is, it has to be better weather than the Netherlands. A bit more temperate. Yeah, it has to be, there has to be some, some enjoyment also from the fact that, hey, we moved to this really nice place. And we, we did our homework on all kinds of everything, talked to people, looking for options. Uh, and options are limited. Like if, if you're, if you're, stri- if you're, if you have just got your PhD, you're a rookie in the job market, and you need one job is one thing. But if you're a senior researcher, tenure, and everything, you need two jobs, it gets a bit more challenging. Yeah. And Houston already showed up high narrator as a, as a place mm. where it's like, well, that's super cosmopolitan, super diverse, uh, maybe kind of hot in summer, but otherwise awesome. Um, and I was working with uh, Jing Zhou here. Yeah. So I reached out to her saying, is there any chance at all that, you know, you'd be desperate to, to hire a CPC. <laughs> you would actually be a good fit here, but that's not going to happen because we're in this dean transition, whatever, and no way you're going to make a senior hire in a dean transition. I'm, like, I'm glad I asked, but so it's not going to happen. Yeah. You keep on looking. Philadelphia was, it stood out as a, as a, as a, in Pennsylvania as a, as a, as a, a good option. Uh, region-wise, uh, Drexel reached out to us and, and we saw lots of reasons where that would be, be great. So we ended up there. Uh, but there was not uh, no thinking that it had to be the East Coast or whatever. It was as well. We would consider different options. This was one, and this worked out. So this is what we do. And then five years later, I get an email from the same Jingo yeah. saying, "We're make we're looking to make a senior hire. Would you be interested to talk?" Yeah. Um, and then and so why why rise? One thing that I didn't realize at the time, because my wife didn't tell me when it was clear that Houston wasn't going to happen and Rice wasn't going to happen, it, that this would always be had been her number one choice. Oh, well. So when Jing reached out and I said to her, you're probably not interested in moving, her response was, oh. I'm ready. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'll move there for sure. Uh, and the other thing was that so Rice has always stood out for me as a really, really good school. And now I'm going on the record saying something nasty about other schools not naming names. Some really, really good schools have a bit of an attitude that's wasted on me. Yeah. A bit too much of a sense of we're awesome. Uh, it's sort of roughly the wrong way. Sure, sure. And Rise has always uh, struck me as a place that is awesome, but doesn't have that attitude. Yeah. Um, I knew several of the, 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 the senior people here and I got to know some of the junior people here. I, I think the OB group is a great group. I have great colleagues. So it may, you also think it's very, and Drexel is a fine university, but it's not RISE. RISE is at a different level. RISE make, has, has resources at a different level that make, make it easier to accomplish things. Uh, and then when my wife told me that this was her, her, her number one choice, I think, hey, okay. <laughs> Came yeah, pretty clear, pretty clear. Done deal, deal. <laughs> yes. I, I visited here. I, I had a day here that I thought, oh, man, I want to work here. <laughs> I know I want to work here. Uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's uh, and now we're here. It's like, oh, this is, uh, this is a place. And you've survived two summers here now. I uh, survived so two summers here. We can, do, we can do the heat. Uh, we very much enjoy the fact that we're not shoveling snow in winter. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so this is a place uh, for us longer term. Absolutely. And, and, and people often say, Ask us, like, how is that, you know, you move from Pennsylvania to Texas? And it implies someone, you know, like, isn't that a challenge to be in Texas? But, you know, it's, it fits us very well. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's an awesome place to be. That's super cool. That's uh, great. Well, we're thrilled to have you here.
Um, so I wanted, I want to explore some of the sort of research conclusions and some of the things, you know, obviously the, maybe obviously or not, yeah. uh, the, those that listen to the podcast are primarily Rice alum and yeah. the, these up next kind of series give sort of an opportunity to kind of maybe identify some opportunities that they might be able to take into their, uh, current leadership roles or future sure. leadership yeah. roles. So I want to kind of get to maybe a, a, a point of kind of practicality sure. here, but, yeah. uh, as we sort of march towards that end, um, you've shared a few themes that you've explored kind of through the course of your research. And so wanted to just sort of double click into one of those if we could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you talked about kind of, uh, diversity and creativity and, um, sort of strategic, um, conflict maybe sort of at the organizational yeah, yeah, level. Yeah. So maybe, maybe digging into the one around strategic conflict first yeah. is, um, should you tell us a little bit about the premise that you explored and some of the, the now, findings? As I'd be, I'd be delighted because that's, that's one where, um, um, the short version of it is the world is full of people that believe that conflict is good, that there is such a thing as constructive conflict. And the evidence, really strong evidence, says that's just not true. Yeah. And for me, that was inspired, that whole research was inspired by studying diversity and inclusion. Uh, you have this notion, uh, long-standing notion, that is value in diversity. And the value in diversity, which, which is true, which, which the evidence also supports. You need to create the conditions to, 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 to be able to realize that value, but it's there. And... What I realized is that there is overlap in where the one thing is true and the other isn't true. The notion that there is value in diversity is based on the idea that you know, diff if people have different perspectives, you can benefit from the diversity of perspectives. It, it makes you understand things better. Mm. It can make you more creative. It can make you make better decisions. It can prevent you from blind spots in your decision making, etc. And people that be that believe in, oh, and I'm already going to say, tur turning slightly nasty here, believe in constructive conflict seem to have a very similar logic in mind. Yeah. There is such a thing as constructive conflict because conflict can force you to dig deeper into what you do and think better about it. Uh, and, and that way you would locate your blind spot, et cetera. So Avoid some local optima. Exactly, like exactly. So, so it, it sounds very much like, like, a, like an argument very similar to uh, why we say that there is value in diversity. Yeah. And the difference that I... I observed in the literature is for the value and diversity argument, there's actually quite consistent evidence. We know you cannot just put a diverse team together and then just sort of lean back and say, no, let the good stuff happen. Sure. It takes more than that. But yes, there is value and diversity for quality of decision-making, for creativity, innovation, knowledge work in general. We also know quite consistently, no, conflict is not good. There's not, 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 no such thing as constructive conflict backfires. So that really got me interested in in dig digging deeper into um, be to better be able to better articulate why uh, seemingly such similar arguments uh, apparently are not the, the, the mm. same argument very because the, 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 because very different outcome. The one the one has is associated with evidence that consistently shows no conflict is not a good thing. It actually is bad for team performance, and the other is shown that yes, if you create the right conditions. And the, the, the conditions that support 
open-minded discussion uh, mm -hmm. of those diverse perspectives and integration of diverse, those diverse perspectives, yes, you will have those positive outcomes. Can you talk a bit about those those circumstances the, to extract the value of diverse teams? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's some things like psychological safety or yeah. trust. Yeah. Sort of like what what are sort of the more statistically significant sort uh, of uh, no, but yeah, Amber, you're you're assuming correctly. So that, that it starts with understanding that diversity from from this perspective is is a is a resource. It's an informational resource. Mm. So if you have a more diverse team, you have more diversity perspectives, information, knowledge. The potential for. It's potential, exactly. So, but it, potential is not the same as you, having the resource is not the same as using the resource effectively. Yeah. So what we're talking about is what is necessary to use the resource effectively. Right. And how do you use it? It's sure. knowledge. And maybe right? the opposite as well. Like yeah. what sort of suppresses. Exactly. Kind of what are those? And, 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 and what we know is... To use that resource effectively, what, what, what does it mean to use that resource effectively? It means open-minded exchange, discussion, and integration of those diverse perspectives. Okay. I need to say, so, you know, you know stuff that I don't know. So, educate me. Sure. A I'm willingness to yeah. listen. and open A willingness to, to listen, a willingness to ask questions, to understand, to, to recognize that there's stuff you don't know. And, and for instance, in this example, also willingness on your side to invest in bringing me up to speak, to sure. explain to me. Yeah. You tell me something, I don't get it. You're willing to, you know, invest in explaining it, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that is, as you said, psychological safety. It, it, but, it, but it also starts with uh, what we call mental models of what you're doing. It, it starts with understanding that this is the process you need to benefit from diversity. Yeah. So if, members of the team appreciating yeah, that, that this is... The more we all understand, this is what we should be doing. We should be focused on learning from each other. We should be focused on exchanging our different perspectives and trying to make sense of, of, of those different angles on whatever we're doing. Okay. Uh, to, and, and if we're able to do this, we'll probably are able to make better decisions or be more creative or be better problem solvers or whatever. And then taking one step back from this, whatever helps create those conditions, yeah. like elements of leadership. We, we know that from, when you talk about psychological safety, for instance, uh, leaders can build psychological safety. They can also be the most destructive force when it comes to psychological safety. Like, sure. Nobody can ruin psychological safety more than, 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 than leaders. And maybe inadvertently. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so, so whatever, and we know, for instance, if, 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 if this, this process of information exchange integration is important, we know there are, for instance, personality differences in how much people are open-minded mm -hmm. or how much people are focused on learning and understanding things. So the personality composition of your team is going to make a difference. So but patience what, to sort of allow that to play out. Maybe you know, or just interest. Like, you know, yeah. you're saying, I don't understand what you said. So that, that piques my interest now. I'm going, now. Now I want you to explain. Now, because I want to understand. Right. And other people might be more like, oh, well, you said something I don't understand. Like, whatever. Let's yeah, move, on move on to something. On. Let's move on to something I do understand. So anything, as I said, from personality to leadership to to uh, prior history of the team, have they discuss, have they learned through experience how to have that process of information integration and knowledge integration in place? Anything that's, that that supports the team to growing another informational resource uh, helps. Anything on, on the flip side that leads to more close-mindedness, yep. and we know from the, for diversity. Stereotypes can get in the way, yep. right? So, and it can be stereotypes of whatever. It can be stereotypes about gender 
or race, but it can also be stereotypes about your functional background. Yeah. Like, why would I re- listen to a computer scientist? Sure. Just a bunch of nerds. Or why would you listen to the, the person from HR? Does that end up being sort of problem dependent? You have sort of a question around like, yeah. it, there's, there's sort of the team discovery of what actually needs to be solved versus clarity and harmony around the problem that needs to be solved. And now you're sort of going to, to work on a particular solution. I don't know if that's an appropriate line of demarcation. Well, so you could already say for, what we know is like probably for anything where there's not not an obviously right answer. Mm-hmm. Diversity can help. And, and and this could also be already the problem definition or the problem. Okay. What, what, what exactly are we trying to do here? Yeah. Uh, uh, it, diversity can help. Diversity perspectives can help. Um, if it's crystal clear what you do, then you move on to the next thing. Sure. But in principle, the open-mindedness of figuring things out can be useful in, in, in every aspect of what you're doing. But depending on the where that fits, that that bias may lean one one way or Yeah, exactly, 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 okay. exactly. And then the flip side is, if there's anything, like if, if, if you have, if you don't have that open-mindedness, you have a close-mindedness, and it can come from, from as I said, stereotypes. We know like birds of a feather flock together. Sure. Uh, much more than opposites attract. <laughs> That's the reality. So, so we, we, we know that all other things being equal, it's easier for people to get, to get along well with more similar others. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things can make it more difficult for the first teams to, to get to that level of psychological safety and that open-minded learning and discussion. And once those things are in place, they can also be self-reinforcing. Uh, if we never talk, sure. if we never have an open discussion, I'm not all of a sudden going to say, Scott, you know, <laughs> that's the... Yeah, there's a lack of sincerity yeah. in that all well, of a sudden. It, 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 so, like... so what, so, and that's why, why benefiting from diversity is not a given. Mm-hmm. Because the, the flip side of it is sometimes we find that diversity is actually negatively related to performance, uh, to, to team performance, because you have those negative processes, those negative dynamics in place. Was there sort of like an authenticity metric to that then as well? Like a sincerity to that? Like, um, or is that maybe not so much the case? It's sort of in the fixed sort of environment of that particular group. So, so this this can really get get us off on a tangent because I I have uh, I have issues with the term authenticity. Sure, because it, we don't have to like. Uh, I, I'm trying to get to like a, and I, I'm happy to talk about sort of whichever aspect of it. But, but I, I I'm I want to ask this question of like the 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 tool or a diagnostic for a leader, and so that's what I'm tr- yeah. like trying to put a word to. What is that? What does that look yeah, like? It's, working with? Yeah, okay. So, and I think, so why I say, why, why not authenticity? Because authenticity, the way we, we in science think about it is there's some true self. And the question is whether you're, whether you're yeah. expressing your true self. Yeah. And it is debatable whether there's such a thing as a true self. We know that we are, we have multifaceted selves. Yeah. So the fact that you behave one way in one situation, other way in another situation, doesn't mean you're inauthentic. It's, it's just you. dynamic. You're yeah. mimicking the like circumstances. When, you're... when I go home and I'm with my family, I'm a parent, and I'm not so much a parent here. I mean, yes, of course, I'm still a parent, but that's not that's not part of the conversation yeah, we're yeah, having, that's right? Yeah, like that. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I'm inauthentic, not expressing my my father self here. It's just like this is not relevant to the situation. Yeah. Um, but what it gets to, I think, is the notion of inclusion. Mm. It's uh, the, the, the the way. Be, be, if you say insincerity, that's what it reminds me. So the, the, the reason why 
we're not just focused on diversity, which is kind of getting the getting the, getting the differences between people together in the organization in teams, but also an inclusion is people need to have that sense of psychological safety that they can act like they want to act. So mm -hmm. I have something to say and I can say it. Yeah. Uh, I, I dress in this way and if you don't like it, that that's fine. You, you, you're not going to judge me for not, you know, whatever. I can do what I, what I want to do. That is important uh, to be able to benefit from diversity. Okay. That people don't feel that they have to engage in a lot of self-censorship. I mean, there's limits, of course. Sure. We have to stay, has to stay professional, but at least right. it has a professional level. But allow them to perform yeah. to their best ability yeah. in the context huh. of the challenge huh. that they've sort huh. of stepped into. Huh. That's helpful. That's helpful. Are there some kind of diagnostics, sort of individually or as a team, whether it's phrases or attitudes or sort of outcomes to sort of say like, hey, this is maybe not as inclusive of a team or is there sort of like a barometer or like a gut check to sort of look so, out for? So if you if it would say behavioral and this this is difficult because that you have to sort of monitor yourself doing it. Yeah. But I think and you you, you said you, you came up with the notion of psychological safety for a reason. It's very obvious, it's very salient and it's very central to what we're talking about. Yeah. So I would say the way if you can, if you can monitor your own team in action, this being being in the action at the same time, sort of having this third person perspective. Sure. The way people respond to diversity of perspectives is is probably the most thing. First of all, do you do you do you share diversity diverse perspectives, sure. or is it as soon as somebody suggests something, everybody seems to be agreeing? I've also been in situations mm -hmm. where everybody always seems to be agreeing. There's no everything. counter argument. Yeah. There's no sort of new information coming. <laughs> Are we really always agreeing on everything? Or are we just so nice that whenever somebody says something, we all agree? Yeah. Um, so the whole thing at the end becomes some just mashed together Frankenstein yeah, of everybody. Exactly. Talking. Exactly. And that's not what you want. And that's also like the the the, the, the champion of, of, of psychological safety, Amy Edmondson. Yeah. She would all just say, this is not what you want. Psychological <laughs> safety means being being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah. Love that. Um so, but you, so what you should be able to see in your team as, as you, if you want to sort of measure it, it's subjective, but still is, you should see diversity perspectives uh, expressed. Okay. If there's no enough diversity perspectives ever shared, that sign that's, that doesn't seem like a good sign. The other thing is, what, how do you see people engage with this? Uh, if there's no response, which can happen, like I say something and then you politely listen and then you move on to the next thing. This is actually what happens a lot with diversity perspectives. One safe way, if you're uncomfortable with diversity perspectives, to deal with it is just to politely hear it out and then move on, but not engage with it. Sure. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, a really bad sign is if, if, if it's very judgmental, like you're wrong, you're stupid, you're whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and a good sign is is anything where you see people make an effort to understand what's said, to understand the other perspective, and to try to relate it to how they understand things. So do, does it's like a curiosity that has to sort of yeah, be present? Yeah, it does it does it, it's, it's perspective taking is a, is a is a is a term we use. Is there a genuine effort to understand what somebody else is saying? What they're saying? Yeah. Uh, is there an effort to understand how what they're saying relates to how you understand things? And if you can see those things in actions, uh, in action, you're in a good place. And if you don't see them, you have to wonder what maybe that's where you want to bring yeah. the, the, that's that's the place you want to bring the team to. That's helpful. I want to explore a little bit this strategic conflict yeah. and constructive conflict because there's sort of this 
it feels to me there's like a threshold where you've like spilled over into conflict versus you're just sort of talk doing the things that we're just talking about, yeah. which is yeah. you're bringing in new ideas and yeah. different perspectives. And so is it just sort of tone and intentionality that sort of it's got a conflict kind of flavor to it? Or is, are there, what is, what is the characterization of a conflict right. that sort of defines it in that way? So the, the way researchers, conflict researchers understand conflict is there is, it's a su subjective experience. Okay. There is conflict when you experience that somebody else is getting in the way of what you're trying to achieve. Okay. That's the bro broadest You've definition. You've got some agenda or some outcome and you're driving towards yeah. it. And it, it, one of the things it means is, is if you, you feel that we have a conflict, I can I cannot make the conflict go away by denying it, oh, right? Interesting. It's, it, yeah. it is is if you feel we have a conflict, no, we don't. Scott's crazy, we don't. So if, if that's your experience, that's conflict. Yeah. Um, and what, what what why I'm interested in, in in conflict and why we have this, this 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 research also in conflict is one of the notions that was really early on in diversity research is. Uh, Conflict about what you're doing, which we call task conflicts. It's not just it's not interpersonal conflict, but it's really disagreements about our goals and, and, and how to get there is a good thing. That is the notion that's that, that there's in task conflict. And diversity would have positive effects because it inspires task conflict. Hmm. And that didn't make sense to me. But it was in the space I was doing my research. And I also recognized that actually there was very strong evidence in the conflict literature to suggest that it, <laughs> it didn't make sense. Mm. Uh, so we, uh, what, what got me on that track was, if you want to talk about how to realize the value in diversity, and there are people walking around saying, well, you want conflict because that's a good thing, and the evidence says it's wrong, <laughs> and I it, you have to address that issue. Uh, because there's some, some it, it, well, uh, misinformation sounds like people are deliberately lying. Sure, that's sure. not what I mean, but it's like, it's incorrect. It isn't helpful if you tell people that there is such a thing as constructive conflict when the evidence says there isn't. Right. Uh, and so that got us to dig deeper. And, and maybe it, if I can bore you a little bit with the, with the evidence, because I think, I think there's so many people that believe that there is such a thing as constructive conflict sure. that when I just say, well, research shows... I'm willing to predict that people think, well, well, I've been in a meeting. Yeah. Plus, plus, I want to know about this research because I, I think there must be something wrong with this research. <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a thing we do, which which is called meta analysis. Okay. So if you do if you do a regular like a regular study, you gather data and you study relationships between a with things A and B. Uh, you can express that relationship uh, 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 quantitatively, like if if uh, sort of kind of leadership has a positive influence on team performance. Yeah. Well, you can capture that in the metric. You can say, well, there's a, the effect size is this is of a correlation, whatever whatever you want to call it. You can you can you can you can capture that quantitatively. So you can also capture the relationship between conflict and team performance quantitatively. And there is a ton of studies out there doing that. And what a meta-analysis does, it gets all the studies you can get, published, unpublished, whatever you can get your hands on, that study that particular relationship. In this case, we're talking about mm. conflict and, uh, and team performance. And quantitatively integrates it, taking into account sample size. So bigger sample, 
it's stronger evidence, so that counts more. Sure. Reliability of measurement, those kind of things. Yeah. And what you then see is meta-analysis. That's why I say I'm going to bore you a little bit with, with the research behind it to make clear. It's not just one study or two studies yeah. where you can say, well, that's a, that's a weird study or that's a weird sample. It's like it's only, all the available studies uh, show that um, task conflict, that supposedly the good conflict is negatively related to team performance. Yeah. And this has been shown in the meta-analysis in 2003 yeah. from all, all the teams all the performance, whatever data they can get. And then a similar analysis has been has been published in 2012, so updated with a lot more studies. Same conclusion. Yeah. And then we uh, did a study digging deeper into the why of this. This not only capturing the, the, the conflict performance relationship, but also the the in intermediate process. Uh -huh. And and this we did in 2018. So that's that's and one. It's even more data. Yeah. On the other hand, it's less data because we narrowed it down to top management teams. So these are senior management teams, and it's it's conflict, it's disagreement about the strategy. Yeah. So it's the strategic level, sort of as an organization. Yes, the strategic level. So these are the people that determine the strategy. They own the strategy. So what is the strategy of a company? Typically, senior management, like the top management team, whatever you want to call them, those are the people that formulate the strategy, and. And there is widespread belief among practitioners as well as researchers that if you have conflict about it, if you have dissent, as they call strategic dissent as they call it, but it's usually measured in the exact same way as task conflict in teams is measured. Yep. So it's, it, it is a conflict. Then it will be a good thing for all the reasons that, that we discussed earlier, uh, because it would force you to dig deeper, to make more of an effort to understand what you're saying. And in the end, you understand things better, so you develop better strategy. Yeah. And our starting point was, this can't be true, given all the evidence, like the meta-analytic evidence more generally, that, yeah. that um, uh, task conflict is bad. No way this is... So our, our focus at the time was testing a model that says, well, what everybody believes is not true. <laughs> and it really was what everybody believes because we, 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 we got like whatever. 78 studies together that from top management teams, not 78 top management teams, right. 78 studies, studies that with, with, with so it's a zillion top management teams. And every single study that made a prediction about whether conflict about the strategy would be a good thing or not, mm -hmm. predicted that it would be a good thing. Yeah. So it's a really, that's what, what people believe, including that's what the researchers that study this believe. Yeah. And we said, no, it will not be a good thing. And here's why. And that's the model we tested. We said, well, there's, there's one thing. If you have conflict, um, people uh, uh, explicitly put themselves in opposition to others. And we like to think that what happens is it makes you think deeper. Yeah. But, but you know, that would be wonderful. Sure. But we're, we're people all- People are human. We're all, yeah, people are human, exactly. So what happens is if you explicitly put yourself in the opposition to me, I'm going to dig in. Yeah. Because I'm writing your own. And the more you and the more you make a point of disagreeing one, uh, the less I like you. Yeah. The less I'm uh, the less I which is important. I'm not just, it's not as, it's not irrelevant. It's important because it, it 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 gets to a closing of the mind. The less I like you, the less I'm willing to listen to you. Interesting. A the, battle line is drawn. A battle line is drawn. Uh the the more this feels like like a like a like a competition. I want to win this this argument. The more I'm closing my mind to what you have to say. 
the more I'm engaging in um, what they call motiv motivated information processing. I'm, right. I'm gathering arguments why I'm right and you're wrong, rather than open selectively my, yes, accepting. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly that what it is. Confirms my stance. Yeah. And it's selective information process. Rather than saying, let's see about all the things that on, on the table, I'm trying to make sense of this. So what it ideally would do is exactly what it doesn't do. Right. It, it makes you close. It, it gets it's, it's selective biased information process, closing of the mind. Um, and, and, and you're committed to winning. You want to win the arguments. Yeah. And, the fact, and, and, and the longer the stakes and the more intense it is, the less I like you and the less you like me. Yeah. Uh, the more we it starts to break yeah, down, it starts to break down. So whatever you say, I'm not even sure that it's true. You might be lying to me, <laughs> etc. So, and that's and that's what we're able to show. We can show in that meta analysis, bringing all those studies together. We show that that um, conflict is negatively related to to knowledge integration in the top management teams. Both directly and 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 via its negative influence on the quality of interpersonal relations, and, and and unfortunately, knowledge integration is positively related to the quality of strategic decision making, which is positively related to firm performance. Yeah. So, if you break down the knowledge integration, you have the downstream effects of poor strategic decision making and poor firm performance. So, where the, the there is the, 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 all those researchers that believe in positive effects embrace that uh, it would stimulate the quality of decision-making because it forces you to process the information better. What actually happens is it, is a, it reduces the quality of decision-making because information processing becomes worse. How is that, I guess, as a leader, I would, I would assume in this case you'd have sort of like a CEO of a large company and sort of their immediate reports. Yeah, yeah that's, so, a, that's exactly what it is, yeah. yeah. And so it, I would assume that it's sort of the CEO's job to sort of ensure that information is shared in the spirit of diverse inputs yes. and other things but are there are there clear i don't know indicators that uh, are showing that that battle line is being sort of drawn because it seems like there's this moment of is it when a decision is taken and we're going to go down this path and somebody is sort of fully bought into that it's sort of it's kind of a question of how to avoid it uh, or how to do yeah it. of course so, so my my intuition, because this is the, the, the downside of a meta analysis, is right. uh, you work with all the available studies. Whatever is not, which is awesome, because you have all this data. Like it really is saying, it's not just a study, like another sample. It is like with all the information, all this, all the research available. This is the best conclusion we can draw. Uh -huh. And usually, once once you find you you find something like that, it's it, it, another ten studies are not going to make a difference. You're going to find the exact same right. thing. But what is not in the studies you use, well, you don't have the data. You don't have the information. If it's not, if, so your question, the answer to that question is not in those studies, so I can only sort of speculate right. about it. My sense is that part of the problem, and that's why I'm so happy to talk about it, because it's good to share that knowledge, part of the problem is that people believe that conf con conflict is, that there is such a thing as constructive conflict. Mm -hmm. So ultimately a key takeaway is just eliminate that as like a, exactly. a good management practice. So if you think, if you're the CEO and you think, yeah, let them fight it out, we'll, we'll make better decisions because of it, because co constructive conflict is good. Yeah. Uh, so you might, you might encourage it. You might say, you know, and, and, and I've heard people say something that essentially amounts to something like, if you believe something really, it's almost like dig in. Yeah. Really go for it. Are you, are you actually bought in or are you yeah. willing to go all the way? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and until you reach the point that you can no longer defend it, but then we've learned something. Sure. 
and that's bad advice. Mm. And but people say those things because there's this, you know, urban legend. This, sure. this, this truism that's sort of yeah, out there. That, that, that there is such a thing as constructive conflict. Mm. So an important part of the problem might be that CEOs. Uh, or, the, I mean, this, it's shared responsibility. Like, it, it, sure. You're going to say, well, you're a CEO, you should do this. You know, so if you're, they're, all, they're all C people, so yep. shared responsibility. They don't intervene because they think it's healthy and they don't realize that it's actually hurting them rather than helping them. And I think, so the, so the, the key takeaways, as you, as you said, is, is you, want to, you want to avoid the conflict. So you want diversity of perspectives, absolutely. But you want to avoid the, the, the moment that it becomes oppositional. Mm. So if, if we have diverse perspectives, we th see things differently. But we can avoid saying, I disagree with you. I'm right, you're wrong. But we're still at the point of saying, well, I want to, so, so this is how I understand it. And you say something that is really, really different. I need to understand why you say this. Can you explain to me why you say this? And I will try to explain to you why, what, when I say what I say. And then, you know, you and I figure out, figure out how we can say, say okay. such different things. As long as it as, it, as it's we together as teamwork trying to figure out how we can have those and, diverse perspectives. Yeah, it's you, not this face to face, exactly. but it's sort of hey, shoulder to shoulder. Exactly. Can you can benefit. You can benefit from the diversity of perspectives. As soon as it becomes oppositional, then you you go down that, that path where I have a sense of ownership of my position. I dig in. I, and it's, 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 especially when it's teamwork, right? Because it's also public. Like sure. you, and, you and I might disagree about something, but it's not just you and I. It's the other people in our meeting also. Right. Uh, and they know that I said A and you said B. And I'd rather leave this meeting with you, <laughs> with you saying what I said than with <laughs> me saying what you said. Yeah. Uh, because it also has this, has this, this, this that the public cost of changing your mind. So, so lowering that cost. Yeah, sure. And it can lower the cost by not making it oppositional. Yeah. And I think it starts with realizing that you that that's not what you want. And in part of this, it is not um, stimulating the conflict because you believe it's a good thing. But also what we know is teams function better if they have clear shared mental models of how they should function. Mm. The shared mental models just saying like, the, what are our rules of engagement? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and I think when it comes to psychological safety, for instance, people make very clear what does it mean to have psychological safety here. We don't criticize people. We you know uh, for for the sake we're 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 always welcoming what people say. Doesn't mean we agree with everything, but we're respectful about it, and we we want Got and we make, of what we're solving for. Yeah, for. we want to we, we we make an effort to understand why they're saying what they're saying. So one rule of engagement, ideally, would be should be uh, we we avoid. Taking oppositional stances, yeah. we 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 can we should should express our diverse viewpoints, but we try to see it as something that we deal with together. Sort of disconnect team. the human yeah. from the 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 suggestion or the path huh? forward, and debate the idea, and not that it's a, owned by a particular. Huh. And that is the, and the ownership is yes, and the ownership is is, is exactly because there is such such, such a thing as psychological ownership. Sure. Uh, once you associate a position or with yourself, it kind of hurts to give it up. Sure, sure. If you if you can distance that, like, this is this is this is this is like intellectual. This is the challenge. Yeah, it's not about me or you. We're trying to solve this together. It's just easier to solve the issue. Interesting. It's super hard to do. It's sort of reflecting over sort of my own 
leadership and strategy roles and stuff. And there's the moments where you can see it fall to yeah, sort of one yeah. side or another. But for instance, if you think about what, when I think about constructively, handl constructively handling conflict, not constructive conflict, usually what I think of is what is things we learn about negotiation. Sure. And um, the one of the most influential, maybe the most influential work on negotiation is Fisher and Yuri on uh, on their approach to uh, integrative bargaining, win-win negotiations. Yeah. And one of the the practical advices they also give um, is if you're really finding it difficult to uh, to reach an agreement, one of the things you might do you, you might want to create uh, a share, shared document yeah. in which you both work and you, and you revise. And the way I would understand it is, it it is exactly as you said, it, it takes, it, it changes from being- You and I have a stance. You and I are in opposite to, so we're, we're both trying to figure out what we want to have in this document. Yeah. Um, and that helps to sort of shift yeah, the, the, uh, the focus elsewhere. Uh, That's really interesting. I like that. And I, th and I think that, that, I would say the exact same thing should work here because it's the exact same logic. Mm. We want, we want, this to be our shared problem. How do we make sense of our diversity perspectives? You, you you think we should expand our business, and I think we'd be really stupid. So what do we do? Let, it's a shared problem to figure out, uh, and not who's going to win this argument. I had an experience recently. I'm going to share it, and I'm be curious if like this is like a good thing or a bad thing. But it's like just like a tactical thing. I'm going into a meeting and just sort of saying, "There's no right answer." Yeah. Collectively, though, we all have different perspectives on what could be a better answer than others and sort of framing a discussion around, in this case, it was a very specific sort of outcome, but it was one of these that has the tendency to be like, hey, I contributed this way of saying mm -hmm. how we maybe describe ourselves as an organization. You know, some of these marketing and branding yeah. exercises that end up being very sort of visible in public and so people take sort of like weird perception is there a way to sort of like frame the room in some of that that is like helpful to sort of keep people or is it hey you just kind of have to let things go and then kind of work that in later on or i mean this is all speculation uh, no no but I, and, I, and i would say you probably don't want to let things go because especially in a situation like you described then you the my tendency is fly yeah the tendency is high to have that sense of ownership and i want my 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 perspective to win etc what, and, and one of the things that I think is really important, I, it, maybe that's, that's what you mean when you say frame the room. Like when I said earlier about mental models, yeah. we know that what often goes wrong in decision-making is that people, if they have to share decision-making, team decision-making, yeah. they understand what they're doing as seeking agreement, finding out what they can agree on. Sure. And, and that focuses you on exchanging positions. Yeah. Like this is what I think we should do. Well, no, I think... And what, what the research shows is that if you can get people to understand the exact same decision-making task, not as an agreement-seeking task, but as a information integration task, yeah. uh, the focus becomes different. Yeah. And people are much better decision-makers because they think, well, information is so we need to get all the, the relevant information yeah. on the table and we need to make sense of all it. All the facts. What, what do you know? What do I know? And, then, and, and it makes it easier then. To, so we don't need to know your position. We need to know the relevant considerations. Yes. Uh, and then it also becomes easy to say, so I, I, I didn't notice. Where did you learn this? Like, what is, what is the, the context behind this, 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 this perspective? Tell me more. It's easier than when the anchor is 
this is your decision preference. My decision preference is different. Because yeah. you're removing all of the decision criteria that led you to a particular uh, sort of that, statement. And you actually, the team needs the criteria and uh, the context of the back. And, and interestingly, and, and I think not, not uh, uh, accidentally, the Fisher and Uri negotiation staff also says the positions are the problem in negotiation. If you say, I want this, and I say, well, I want this. That's and then we find it very difficult to agree on those things. Yeah. They say, well, you, you, what you want, you don't want to talk about positions. You want to talk about what they call the interests behind the positions. Why do you want this? Yeah. If you understand why people want whatever they say they want, then you can think of alternative ways for you to get what you want and me to get what I want mm. that are less in opposition. And I think this is a similar logic here. If you if you talk about the considerations behind what might be your decision preference, uh, we are better positioned to figure out what what we can all agree on in the end than when we when we take the 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 decision preferences as start. Yeah. This is this has been super interesting. Um, I I'm curious sort of, and it may be too soon to sort of see it in like research or the things, but you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. It shifted into this kind of work from home, quiet quitting, like the workplace dynamic is changing in a bunch of ways. Yes. And lots of arguments about sort of, hey, everyone needs to be in the office, everybody. I'm curious, like in all of that kind of frothy, because there's no organization or country on the planet that wasn't impacted in some form or fashion. Are there aspects of that that sort of contribute to this team dynamic and sort of the, the we have Zoom only teams versus we talked about being here in a three dimension yeah, sort of yeah. the difference in that? Are there are there sort of threads of that sort of experience that we're coming out of that interest you as a researcher that you'd want to sort of explore more? So I think if we related to what we're now talking about, because I, I think it's interesting, and I think what what I think is interesting about the remote working experiences is the the situations in which it seemed to work much better for people than working from the office. Sure. Um, and the I think it's a bit of a nature re- reaction to think that people should come back to the office, mm. or or should at least be three days a week, whatever. Sure. That's, some arbitrary. Mandate. Yeah. So, some some arbitrary mandate. Ex- exactly. I think. It would be healthy for organizations to be to be a lot more open to the possibility that actually, you know, maybe their people do really well yeah. uh, if they work re- remotely a lot of the time. Yeah. The one thing, and I don't know research about it, so I'm really speculating. The one thing where I th- where I think could be an exception is exactly what we're talking about: really benefiting from diversity in perspective as, uh, in decision making, because uh, being in person together, as you say, as we also talked about, this is, it's easier to do it like this than to do it on a Zoom call. And we get a lot of information, much more than we than we realize from nonverbal communication. Yeah. So it's easier to have a con- constructive conversation mm-hmm. if you're face to face. More data is exchanged. Exactly. Than just li- 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 literally in person together, uh, especially when it gets more complex. Uh, and there, 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 it's really diversity of perspectives that that you are not simply not, not simple to integrate, but it takes some effort to do it. Um, so for those kind of meetings, I would think that actually it really helps to come back to the office and meet yeah. for lots of other stuff. I think it's, the office is overrated, yeah. but, but here, uh, yes, I, 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 although I don't know the research, I would imagine that, um, if you do the research, you'd find that for 
creating synergy from diversity uh, and preventing conflict, it helps if you're face-to-face. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see sort of how that plays out over time, like you're saying. there's a, It's um, it's pretty early um, overall to sort of see what, what those outcomes are. What's what's next for you from a research standpoint? What are some of the kind of areas of interest that you are actively thinking about exploring or, or working oh. towards to the extent that you can kind of give us a peek behind the Yeah, curtain? yeah, yeah. So I think so. part of it is what, what I'm act, act sort of actively exploring because I haven't quite figured out how to do so. What I what an, annoys me with whatever it is, like the scientific annoys me, <laughs> is, the, is the, the nerd is annoyed. Um, we know a lot more about how how to benefit from diversity perspectives from team diversity research than we see reflected in DEI practices. Yeah. Uh, and so a disconnect. There's a disconnect, like we, the, and that that seems to be like a missed opportunity. Like uh, and and. Normally, you would say, well, if I want to study something, okay, I can, I can go and study it. But something that doesn't exist yet is a little bit, is a little bit more difficult to, uh, to study. So you need to be able to create the situation that you could like, like a pilot, pilot something, whatever, uh, and then study how, well, however that works out. But I really think we leave uh, a potential unexplored by having DI practices much more, uh, m- not, not really focused, much less focused on creating value in diversity than I think many people in the DI space think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we know from, from and going back to the, the stuff we discussed earlier is there are certain things that, that can get in the way. Uh, if, you, they, if, if you have diversity, it can also lead to a closing of the mind. If sure. um, and there seems to be sort of a naive idea that if you only can prevent those negative outcomes, you'll be good. And and we know from team diversity research that that's not true. You also need to actively invest and create in, in beyond not having biases and stereotypes play out or whatever. You need to actively invest in creating the the context that people actually understand. We can benefit from diversity, but it really takes an effort. So we have to make that effort to to learn from each other, to integrate what we have to say. And I don't see that reflected in DI practices, or maybe there's now some company somewhere that says, well, that's, that's what we do. Clearly, you don't know us. And then I'm guilty of stars. No, I don't know you. Um, but most DI practices that I am aware of are very much focused on equal employment opportunity only. And equal employment opportunity is super important. So I'm not arguing against it at all. All I'm saying is we're leaving uh, a lot of potential on tap by not investing more in DI practice yeah. in, uh, in creating value from diversity. Interesting. And I would really love to sort of figure out what kind of practices could support this. And and as a leadership researcher, my, my usually like my first my, my knee-jerk response is leadership development. Uh, because leadership development programs typically also are not focused on diversity, or nowadays they might be focused on inclusion, but not in a in but not in a value of diversity way, but more like you should prevent somebody feeling excluded. Which I agree, of course, you should prevent something. But preventing somebody from being excluded is not, in and of itself, is not enough to have that inf- information integration and active. active people actively seeking out diversity of perspectives to benefit from it as a team. Okay. 
Uh, so interesting. Yes, yeah, so my my angle would be if if ever an opportunity arose because people typically arises because people typically don't let you mess around with their leasing development programs. <laughs> but if ever I could do something like introduce an element in there that is really about value from diversity and set up research around it to evaluate whether it actually makes a difference, that would be pretty awesome. Love it. As we um, as we wrap up here, I want to do I don't do this too often, but like a like a rapid fire, totally unrelated. I just <laughs> want to yeah, ask you like sure. a couple yeah. of questions. All right, so you've been in Houston now a little over twelve months. Favorite restaurant? Ah, that's a, that's a, that is a trick question. Um, what is it? Like? So I, I'm because we we live in Fulcher, so I haven't actually seen many Houston restaurants, but I would more generally say. The Mexican food is so much better sure. here than yeah. like, Philadelphia. Okay. It's, I agree. It's almost like any favorite restaurant, uh, any Mexican restaurant. <laughs> perfect. No, perfect. but actually, so I was, I, I forgot what it's called. There is in Katy Chinatown, there is a Vietnamese place. Mm. And, and I've been so frustrated with how sweet every. Every Asian restaurant that we've been to in the Philly region makes the food way too sweet. sweet. Oh. And, and, and going to this, oh, this is what I want, but forgotten name. But that, that would be my favorite restaurant. And then I'm curious when you're not uh, here at Rice, like recreationally, how do you spend your time? I exercise every day mm-hmm. on an obsessive compulsive. So I, I, I get up at five. I, Work out in my gym garage, which mm-hmm. gets very hot in summer. Sure, yeah, even, yeah. And then I uh, I ride my bike uh, uh, for half an hour, and then I swim for twenty minutes. Awesome. And every every opportunity, which is, I'm happy if it's once a week. I go hiking for a couple of hours. Sure. That's one thing that Houston doesn't have in no, topography. I would say that was a lot easier in Pennsylvania, yeah. where you know, thirty minutes from home, you go nice hilly country, whatever. Right. And here it's uh, that's a bit more challenging. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and then uh, favorite uh, nonfiction book. Oh, that is also a tricky one because I read a lot of nonfiction. Again, unrelated to sort of the the work that you do, but if there's a, a particular... Wow, oh, I, I read so many different things. Maybe the most recent one that you... So, so I'm currently reading the most recent one because I don't want to think, oh, favorite. I'm, I'm bad at favorites. The most recent... I'm currently reading... The history of Texas, which seems kind of appropriate yeah, moving yeah, on. Absolutely. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, Dan, it's really been awesome to have you on the show. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure. All right. Stay well. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This has been I'll Have You Know, a production of Rice Business. You can find more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Scott Gale, and Maya Pomeroy.